0: Do you just love this podcast so much and wish you could find a way to monetarily support us? Well, guess what? Much like NPR, we thrive on support from viewers like you. So if you love this podcast and you want to become a contributor, all you have to do is go to anchor.fm, that's ancho rfm click the support button and choose the amount that you want to contribute each month to our podcast. This helps keep our podcast going, and it keeps the phenomenal content that you have come to know and love flowing. So yeah, what are you waiting for? Sign up today. As always, thank you so much for being a listener. We appreciate you, we see you, and we hope you enjoy the show. Spoiler alert. If you do not want this film ruined, do not proceed. There's spoilers galore. You have been warned. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me, the classic film podcast and movie club where I, Sarah Greenfield, your host and classic film enthusiast, bring in my entertaining friends to talk about classic movies or any other old-fashioned form of media that strikes my fancy. On today's show, we're talking about the film The Sound of Music from 1965 with my wonderful guests Zoe Palco and Jessica Rice. Welcome to Talk Classic to me. I am your host Sarah Greenfield and today on the show I have my wonderful friends Zoe Palco and Jessica Rice. Hello friends, how are you? Yay, hello. Hi Sarah, we're doing well. Fabulous. Um so today we are talking about the movie The Sound of Music from
1: 1965. Friends, how did this viewing feel for you? It's always magical. It's one it's like an American treasure. It's just it's wonderful. Julie Andrews good, Nazis bad. <laughs> and a podcast. Yep. Yeah. Jessie, how'd you feel?
0: It's a movie. I feel like I thought I knew so well because I, you know, watched it so much as a child, but it's been, a, it's been a very long time for me. And I feel like the parts I always thought were dumb and boring. I now appreciate, which was, was kind of nice. Um, that's a long movie though. <laughs> It's long. I didn't quite realize how long it was because I actually ended up having to watch it before this today. So I felt like I finished it just in time for the show. Cause I went, oh, wait, is it really three hours? I forgot. I forgot. I also, I finished it about five minutes before, before we hopped mm-hmm. on this call, but I
1: made it. I spread it out over like four days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was smart. Good work. Yeah. Um. All right. So here's the reason why I chose this film. I chose it for now because it's like a Christmas film. In my mind now at home, I can hear you going, Sarah, it's not a Christmas film. Yes, you're correct. It's not actually like a Christmas film, but they would always show it on TV around Christmas time. And I think that because my favorite things is kind of considered a Christmassy song, like they play it on the radio and stuff at Christmas. I think it's part of the because of the line, brown paper packages tied up with strings, and also snowflakes that stay on my nose and eyelashes, and silver white winters that melt into springs. Because of those lyrics, I believe that we were like, it's winter, it's a wintry song. <laughs> we're claiming it. So it's Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're going to show it around Christmas, and it's Christmas. So I feel like, you know, that's why I'm doing this now. Plus, it's one of my mom's favorite movies of all time. So this is also a holiday present for my mommy, if you will. You're welcome, Karen. I love you. I love you, mm-hmm. mom. Um, and I actually have really strong associations. The first time I watched this film, I have some really good sound of music, watching stories. Um, the very first time I watched this film, my cousin Kelly showed it to me when I was six years old and she was babysitting me. And, um, when we were kids, they used to show us like really inappropriate films for our age. I don't know if you remember that, but like, if you were at school, they'd be like, let's put on roll dolls, the witches, even though you're five. And it was, it was terrifying, right? They would show you like kind of terrifying films that you were way too young to see. So when my cousin put this movie on, I got really scared because of the nuns. So I like went into another room and she found me and she's like, why did you get up and leave? And I said, well, cause witches really scare me. And she was like, what are you talking about? And I thought that the nuns were witches like in the movie, The Witches, which had terrified me. So she had to tell me what a nun was and that they aren't scary in this movie that they're not gonna take off their faces and that I should come and enjoy this film. Um, and I'm so glad I did. So that was my very first viewing of The Sound of Music, and also I feel like everybody had a VHS tape that they copied off of the television. Am I right about this? Yes. Yes. 100%. Yeah, 100. Yeah, because they would show it around Christmas. Correct. And I don't. I feel like my family's version, like cut off before the end. So I I every time they go sing at the festival toward the end, I'm always like, what? I thought I thought the movie was over already. They yeah. got in the car and then they left and it was fine. Oh, crucial part. Yeah. Exactly. Ours, if you left it playing, I think I've told this story on the podcast before. I'm sorry, people at home. For ours, it was like it was the sound of music and it had that great Campbell soup commercial with the boy that's the snowman and he melts and then he's a boy. Do you guys yep. remember that mm-hmm. Campbell soup commercial? They had oh, that yeah. commercial. Um and then um so if you let the tape play after the sound of music, it would be like a Simon and Garfunkel concert that they showed on PBS. And if you let that play, it would go into it, you know, with scary clown mini series. My parents had, I guess, taped that. So you couldn't let the tape go too far or you would be like terrified for the rest of your life. You'd see accidentally watch it and have really weird associations with sound of music for some reason. That was our taped VHS copy, um, off of the television, but so yeah, there's all of that. And then, um, I mean, Every year they do the Hollywood Bowl sing along at the Hollywood Bowl. So I've seen it. I didn't see it this season, but I did the season before and I go kind of like every other year. Um, And it's like a really lovely event where everyone gets together and watches the movie and sings with it. And then like you do certain things during the screening. So like when the flashlights are out at the end with the Nazis, everybody brings flashlights and they like light them up at the screen Um, And then there's like a costume contest And people go all out And they go as concepts So like someone went as like How do you catch a cloud and pin it down And it was like a cloud And a little kid trying to pin them Or like a whirling dervish out of whirl Somebody went as one time Um, And then the night Ooh, the night that the Supreme Court Gave us marriage equality I was at the sing-along at the Hollywood Bowl And they lit the whole bowl up like a rainbow While they were showing the film And it was beautiful And then when they sang Climb every mountain And they were like Follow every rainbow Everyone was like losing their minds it was amazing okay so anyway those are some associations i have with sound of music really <laughs> non sequitur but thank you for for really um what's the word for humoring humoring me that was the word so i thank you I'm there for you okay so um here's a plot synopsis of the sound of music in case somehow you really don't know this movie at all and that's okay it's okay but here's a plot synopsis all right so sound of music picture it i'm not actually sure what year it is it might be 1938. It might be 1936. I actually don't know. Do you guys know actually what year the movie this this It's just movie the golden
1: in? age of the third, the, the last of the golden age of the thirties. That's what the
0: movie tells us. In Salzburg, Austria. Well, in the, the program they had said 1936, but then online it said 1938. And I was like, well, make up your mind. Which is it? I don't know. To be shutting down the borders, it... I I don't know, maybe my history like is failing me, but yeah, it felt like late thirties to me. Okay. So 38 ish, we're going to say that. Okay. So late thirties, golden age of Austria. Uh, You know, the Nazis are rising to power, but we're not there yet. Right. Because we are in the Alps with a woman attempting to become a nun. What do they call it with a woman? Who's a postulate Maria and she is very lively and she just is so full of life and joy and she cannot contain herself. And so she doesn't really fit in with these nuns. And the nuns are like, oh, we like you. Well, most of the nuns are like, we like you. One of them is like, you're a demon. But most of the nuns like Maria. And they're like, we like you. We just don't think that you belong here. Like, maybe you should try being out in the world. So they get her this gig as a nanny for Captain Von Trapp, who has seven children, to which her response is seven. And I'm like, yeah, Maria, correct response.
1: But you like children, Maria. Yes, but seven. Like, word, Maria, word. Accurate. That's a lot of kids. It's a lot of kids. <laughs> um. Anyway, so.
0: She goes to be a nanny for them. And these kids are very precocious and they have, you know, gotten rid of 12 nannies before her with their antics. And the dad is Captain Von Trapp. Oh, and I should mention, by the way, Maria is played by the lovely and wonderful Julie Andrews and Captain Von Trapp is played by Christopher Plummer. OK, so that's those are them. And Captain Von Trapp runs his house like he is running a ship. He is you know, still grieving the loss of his wife and he handles it by like channeling his time at home into like not being fun and like having order and structure. And uh, it's not great for his kids and it's not great for him, you know? So Maria shakes things up. He goes on a trip. And uh, while he's gone, she's like, you know what? I'm going to make these kids some play clothes. I'm going to teach them to sing. We're going to have an amazing time wandering the streets of Salzburg together, going to like farmer's markets and stuff. And it's going to be amazing. And then the kids grow to love her and trust her. And she brings like joy into the house. So when the captain comes back with the baroness, who he hopes to marry, um, he sees this change in his kids and hears them singing and it changes him. And he's like, oh my God, I want to live again. Music is powerful, and I have the gift of song. And so she, like Maria, single handedly kind of brings the Von Trapps back to life. And one night they throw this big ball. Uh, and the Baroness who's a little bit of a manipulative schemer is like, Oh shoot. I see that the guy that I want to marry because he's handsome and rich and I am beautiful and rich. Um, that's the only reasons we really want to marry. Um, she's like, shoot, I see that he's got feelings for Maria. I need to nip this in the bud. So she kind of manipulates Maria and is like, oh, do you have feelings for the captain? He has feelings for you. Cause she knows that Maria's like, wants to be a nun and isn't totally comfortable with these feelings. So that freaks Maria out and Maria leaves. She's like, oh my God, do I love the captain? Ah, I think I do. So she leaves. Um, she goes back to the Abbey just by leaving a note, not even saying goodbye and everyone is so sad about it. Oh, and I should mention, we get a classic intermission. We get an intermission, which is when you knew at home to switch the VHS tapes, if you had the official, uh, like, purchased one, you know, because my cousin had the official one. You had to switch the cassette tapes at the intermission. Um, and so the kids, they, they're they bummed. They miss Maria. Um, the captain can see it. Everybody's sad the Reverend mother, who's actually really good at her job. She's like a really good judge of character and gives really good advice quite frequently. She's like, Maria, what's up? What's going on? And Maria's like, I was feeling these really uncomfortable feelings. I don't know what they are. And the Reverend mother is like, you're in love, girl. You're in love. And I'm going to have you face those fears and go back to the Von Traps. I'm not going to just let you become a nun because I don't think that's what you really want. You gotta climb every mountain till you find your dream. So Maria goes back to them on traps and she's like, Hi, I'm back. <laughs> and they're like, Yay, we're glad you're back. But she thinks that the captain is going to marry the Baroness. So she's really sad about it. And she's like, oh, I'll I'll leave once you find other arrangements. And then um the captain. And the Baroness break up because the captain's like, I do love Maria. And the Baroness is like, crap, you can't dump me. I have to dump you. Goodbye, Gayog. (laughs) She leaves and he goes after Maria. And they have like the cutest, most beautiful moment inside the gazebo of love. And, um, as I call it throughout the film, it is the gazebo of love. That is where you go to fall in love, the gazebo. Um, anyway, so they fall in love, they get married in a very epic church service with like hundreds of people. And I was like, who are all you people? Who are you? Where were you this whole time? What's going on? A lot of people. Anyway, so they get married. They go on a honeymoon. When they get back, everything has changed. The Nazis have taken over. Um, They want Captain Von Trapp to report as their like naval ambassador. I don't know stuff. Something seafaring. Seafaring. Yeah. A naval position, a big time naval position. And he's like, absolutely not. I'm not a Nazi Nazis are the worst. I'm not one. And he's like, so to turn them down would be death. It would be fatal. They would kill us, but I'm not going to accept that because I'm not a Nazi. So they come up with a plan to flee the country, to go into Switzerland, which is neutral. And it's just over the hills. Um, But the Nazis foil their plan because they're fucking Nazis and they're the worst. They're the worst. Hot take Nazis are bad. Nazis are bad. I don't know. Some (laughs) people today might be like, I don't know. And you're like, Nazis are bad, period, period. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, um, they cover up like they're trying to escape by being like, well, we were just gonna go sing in this local folk folk singing competition. What you thought we were fleeing the country? <laughs> no, we weren't fleeing. We were gonna go sing as a family. And so the Nazis are like, well, we'll allow it to prove that like Austria is still Austria and that we have power over you. So they all go to the singing competition and they sing and it's really lovely. And then they manage to escape. The Nazis, well, first they have to go to the Abbey to get to their escape. And the Nazis go searching for them at the Abbey and they hide really well. But Rolf, who was dating Liesl, but then he became an asshole. Well, he was an asshole the whole time. But when he fully turned Nazi, he became full asshole. Um, he's going to like give up the family like a monster because, you know, they would execute them. <laughs> Didn't think that through Rolf, did you? I don't know. Anyway, so Rolf is going to like call for the other Nazis because he finds them on traps. And Captain Von Trapp is like, No don't you're not like them and they make their escape and ralph does call the other nazis because again he's an asshole and then um but because the nuns were really thinking ahead they took a part they took some parts out of the nazis car so the nazis can't follow them in the car and the von trapps make it to the hills of austria or uh, switzerland and they climb into the alps and they are free and that is the story of the sound of music with the beautiful musical numbers written by Rogers and Hammerstein and sometimes just Rogers. Uh in, in and it was based on a real story in a real book about the real Maria Von Trapp and the Von Trapp family singers, minus the love story. Because I don't think they're really in love in real life. So that's the sound of music everybody. Let's discuss. Let's break this down. Wait, they weren't in love in real life? Yeah, I think in real life they it was just like, yeah, we got married, but like he was very old and she was a lot younger. And I think it was just kind of like, yeah, we're married, but it wasn't like, you know, Christopher Plummer and Julie Andrews in a gazebo, you know, it wasn't like, you're my soulmate. Now let's smooch. It wasn't like
1: that. They also made like a lot of money performing, right? Like they were like a real professional, like, this is our thing. They were like all into it. Like in the movie, Georg was all like, my children not, will not perform in public. And in real life, he was like, no, let's perform in public. Let's get that monies.
0: He had a little bit more max in him than we would like to realize. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't know any of this. All I know is they ended up in Vermont and I think there's a brewery now. When you said they ended up in Vermont, I was like, wait, Christmas. Wait, wait, is there a crossover? Me too. No, like that's not. Another Christmas film connection. I have actually seen the Von Trapp siblings or they're like the Von Trapp grandchildren perform at this point. Of course you They sang at the Hollywood Bowl. And I, and I saw them and they were lovely. Um, but yeah, they still sing today. The, the, the ancestors of the Von Trapp family singers. This film, um, came from the stage musical, the very successful stage musical by Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein II. Um, it won the Tony in 1960. Actually fun fact, ooh, super dorky here. Fun fact, it tied for best musical with, can you guess it? The classic Fiorello. That old chestnut. Yeah, I'd say those are on equal footing. Yeah. Yeah, I know. We constantly sing Fiorello to this day. So I know that they're really culturally irrelevant pieces. Actually, my audition song was from Fiorello uh, back in college, which is one of the reasons I know that that play exists. Anyway, so yeah, that they tied for Best Musical in 1960. And then um, Oscar Hammerstein died right at like in 1960, when sound of music was open, like it was his last musical that he wrote with Richard Rogers. So th- this is kind of like the end of the golden age musical era, or I guess not the end of the golden age. Cause we get more, but it's the end of their partnership, which was a really beautiful partnership. And what I think is interesting that ties in with this film. So Rogers and Hammerstein changed the way that Broadway did musicals, right? With Oklahoma in the forties, they changed the face of how a musical story is told on stage. And I think that this movie changed the way that musicals were done in movies. It is the first movie musical to utilize filmmaking as a part of its storytelling, as opposed to trying to, so like instead of taking dance numbers and putting them like as they were staged on stage onto a set, they try to tell us the story through visuals and it's the first movie musical to do that. So like, I think that's why it's so important. Um, and Robert Wise directed it. He also directed West Side Story, which was, like, getting us there. Like, ooh, we're movie musicals and we're almost modern, but we're not quite there yet. And this, like, took the final plunge to tip the scale as a modern movie musical. Well, it was. it's interesting that you mentioned that, you know, how... Th- because they use the city of Salzburg so well. Um, you know, they're they're not performing. I mean, there are the, f- the few moments where they are on a stage or the marionette scene, but they're just like bashing around Austria and it's gorgeous and it just makes it so much more interesting. It was really filmed on location um, and it's really the, all of those locations. It's really interesting how they got to that. I was reading today that um, William Wyler, the famous director, who's like, actually, I think my favorite old school director, he was supposed to direct this. So when he was on board, he and like one of the producers and the writer, Ernest Lehman, went to Austria to just like scout locations and look around. And they looked at 75 places. And so since Ernest Lehman was like changing the script, he was adapting the script for the screenplay. He added a lot of that into the script so it could be shot at certain places that they saw. So it was like by going on that trip and by viewing all of that, he could like take the best of what he thought he saw in Salzburg and put it into the script realistically, especially that the Do Re Mi sequence where they're really going through all of Salzburg. Um, But yeah, this movie, I mean, I mentioned it's like a really good adaptation. And I think one of the ways it does that is instead of like having these really big flashy music numbers, they feel very natural. They feel like nobody here is a professional dancer, really. They're just like regular people doing moves that you could do. like the visual gorgeousness of the landscape is what you're looking at instead of a lot of the choreography. It's like a very detail oriented. So the music is so gorgeous and you're focusing instead of having, again, insane choreography, like instead of having a Gene Kelly moment, you're having them, Liesl and Rolf, step up onto a step at the same time the music pings a certain way. I don't know. I thought they were really smart about how they chose to tell this film and they really utilize the landscape.
1: And it seemed like a real love letter to Austria too i mean and that also obviously goes along with the theme of you know being taken over by the nazis which is a major bummer and um have it being shot on location and the use of music and the music throughout because they made a point and it's something i i realized you know what as an adult like watching it and seeing the through line they make a point of kind of making the music that they put in the show or in the, in the movie, they bring it back, but in a way that makes you think that everyone knows these songs, like the waltz they do, the Hills are alive music, the, or the, the band plays um, my favorite things, like a rendition of my favorite things when I do the ball, which makes you think, Oh, that's a song that everyone maybe knows. It's like a folk song they play. They mention how they're playing a famous folk song at the ball as well. Um the captain knows Edelweiss. Everyone knows Edelweiss. Like that's a, a unifying song that everyone knows. Um, so I feel like they do a lot of cool stuff with with incorporating the music in the society that is Austria with the surroundings then showing off Austria. It's like a love letter to Austria, which makes it like it hits you that much harder when you realize that Austria is gone and the Nazis have taken over. Like that's more of a loss that you feel because they've sewed it through the entire film, which I think is really cool.
0: When something I read today was that Austria was not okay with them hanging the Nazi flags up, even just for the film they were like very not okay with it and i was like okay good so like lesson learned there at least um so they had to i think they only had them hanging in the one scene in a public area <laughs> and i think i heard they use stock footage but i don't know that that's true um but yeah i was like okay good so like austria at least is like no not even for a movie we're not even joking here um but also you mentioned they they weave this music through but i think that's also a testament to how melodic and gorgeous the music is because we can hear the same song three or four times throughout the musical and still enjoy it each time. And they they just change it a little bit each time. So that there's something new to focus on within the music. It's really, really, really well done, almost like it's done by the masters of the genre. I don't know. <laughs> um and then something else that was really cool. I know I keep saying like, oh, it was a really great film adaptation of a stage play. But what I think they did really well was they reorganized the songs in a way that made more sense in the film than they do on stage. So like, um, so it's so in the play, uh, Maria sings my favorite things at the Abbey when she's scared to come to the Von Trapp's house. Um, And it's like, you know, it's nice, but you're like, okay cool. I'm glad you are perky, I guess. I don't know. But I really like the, I have confidence song in that place because it's saying how she really feels and what she has to do to move forward. And also that's the song that Richard Rogers wrote by himself because Oscar Hammerstein had died. So he wrote the words and music to that song. Um, He usually just wrote the music, not the lyrics. And so that song was all him. And they do say that in the opening credits, they wrote additional songs by Richard Rogers. So that was Roger's own song. But then Richard Rogers writing a song after his partner has died, saying, I have confidence that spring will come again. Like he's, you know, a song about having confidence and facing your fears. I was like, oh my God, that's beautiful. Going out on your own, writing this song. So I love that in that place. Then they move my favorite things to the scene where the children are scared of the the storm. Um, which is fabulous because what that was in the musical was lonely goat herd. And you're like, ah, uh, that's fun, but doesn't quite fit. So that, I think my favorite things fits even better in that moment. And it helps to create this bond between them. And it's also her teaching them a lesson in the song, you know, like this is how, oh, you're scared of something. Let's try this. So I don't know. I love that placement there. And then finally we get lonely goat herd as like a fun, uh, little tune that's thrown in there. But it also shows off kind of like these Austrian puppetry things, which I think must have been a cultural thing that they got to showcase in the film. And it, once again, it shows to like the dad, like, oh, my kids are having fun now. Look at the joy in them. So I I really like that adaptation and the song placement there. And then they removed two songs. Um, they removed the Baroness and Max sang two songs in the musical that are not in the play. One is How Can Love Survive? And the other one is, I think it's called No Way to Stop It. It's the one where they're like, well, Nazism is happening and we can't stop it. So they took that one out. And they took out how how can love survive, which is like two rich people being like, we have nothing to get in our way. However, will we stay in love? What I thought was really interesting this time that I don't know that I noticed before is after the Baroness gets Maria to leave, they play the orchestrations for how will love survive in the background as she walks back in the ballroom to like claim her victory. And I went, oh, what a good moment to take her like duet that they cut out of the picture and put it in that moment. So yes, musical through line. Yes, thoughtfulness to music. I liked all of those choices and all of those adaptations to the screen. I do want to ask, since we're talking about music, what are your favorite musical numbers and why?
1: How can you pick just one? (laughs) Climb every mountain. Just kidding.
0: Yeah, I always fast forwarded that one as a
1: kid. Did you too? Who likes <laughs> that oh. song? I'm sorry. Every time That's I fast forward, it's so <laughs> boring. It's so boring. But I, like throughout my entire childhood, I don't think I listened to that song like all the way through once. I was like, pass, hard pass.
0: As an adult, it's beautiful and I appreciate it. But yeah, as a kid, you're like, it's the slow high one. I don't care. With like
1: dim lighting and all she does is walk around very slowly to a window and then it's done. And I'm like, why? I'm so bored she's like operatic and it's like
0: there are parts of the film that I have renewed appreciation for as an adult but the songs like my favorite songs are the ones that I thought were great as a kid which are lonely goat herd obviously the emotional centerpiece of the show Um, (laughs) and, and I I mean I like always like wanted to be Liesl so 16 going on 17 which has not really withstood the test of time but also is like a personal sentimental favorite for me.
1: It's a good song. That's what's hard. Like, it's a good song. It was, I mean, it's written by geniuses. It's a a cute moment. I have a playlist for Nelly when she was like really small and it was like a lot of show tunes. And this was on it. And I was like, and I I started to listen to lyrics like a little more. And I'm like, we're going to delete this one. I don't know if I want you to hear this.
0: Your life, little girl, is an empty page that men will want to write on. It's so patronizing, but the gazebo of love and the cute choreography and the rain, I, I still love the it. The way I
1: justify it now to my, like, feminist self is that the lyrics, like, it, they're so awful, and it doesn't really work, but, like, to me, it helps justify and, like, still enjoy the song, is that Rolf is a little shit, so yeah. he says all these mm-hmm. awful things. Because he's a Nazi little shit. And I'm like, well, all right, you're a misogynistic little shit. And you're saying little misogynistic little shit things. So I'm like, all right. It's a lesson. It's a lesson. And also, I love how, if you, again, this is like not the intention of the filmmakers at the time, but like, this is what I tell my little feminist self is that she was like oh yeah i'm i what do i know of those like what do i do and while she's coming on to him while she has like agency coming on to him and he's like no 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 and then she gets mad and she like wants to walk away and then whatever it's like all right you have agency like you're playing the game which i like appreciate there's there's like you can grasp at some straws in it
0: i am so on board with this interpretation zoe yes i completely (laughs) agree i'm gonna just rehash this yes so what you're saying is that because rolf is a shit nazi asshole what he has to say doesn't really count and is not valid and so she is learning this lesson like this is her first time falling in love and so even though yeah she's the one she's instigating it like she wants this she's attracted to him she just wants to get kissed like that's what she wants She has an objective. Mm -hmm. She meets that objective by the end of the song. Hell yeah, she does. She's 16. But so like, yeah, realizing like, oh, maybe these romantic feelings I have for you aren't like everlasting love. Maybe this is just like fun attraction and maybe your ideas kind of suck and maybe you're terrible. So yeah, I really like that whole backstory of it. I do want to say- when I was young, 16 going on 17 was like my favorite for the reasons we're saying. She's wearing this really flowy dress and turning a lot. And she's got great dance moves. There's not a lot of like solid choreo in this film in terms of like the classic old Hollywood choreography. And so I think this number is the closest we get to that besides the Landler, um, which is like actually a real dance. I looked up today, I guess it's that's real what they were doing. And I was like, whoa, that's really complicated. Congratulations. Wow. But yeah, 16 going on 17, old Hollywood dancing vibes. And it's a magical moment. They're in a gazebo. There's rain. The music's beautiful. It's a first kiss. I like all of that. So I think that's what makes the number so special. And I really appreciate your take on Ralph because that's my new take on Ralph. So I love it. Thank you. I justify. Mm Mm-hmm. I like it. We were we were throwing shade at Climb Every Mountain. What I did appreciate this time with Climb Every Mountain, so I think in the past if this was a musical number before this movie, it would have been a close up of her face the whole time singing. And so what I thought was great was that it's about Julie Andrews hearing what she has to say. We are focused on Julie Andrews the whole time who is not singing. Um so I thought that was a really cool way of shooting something and it would have been like really new and high tech at the time. Like no one does that. No one shoots things kind in shadows and in the dark like she the person singing isn't even getting attention what it's because it's not about her it's about maria and maria's journey and we're focused on maria and then we get that really pretty golden window shot just because they were like and now your award for being selfless in that song here's your gorgeous window shot (laughs) um so yeah i will say that i did appreciate that about this particular time around viewing um let's let's dig into some more songs goat herd was also one of my favorites i think kids and puppets like oh my god and the baby puppet is my favorite. When the little baby puppet comes out and goes, lady, Oda, lady, Oda, Lou," I love it every time. And then when they have puppet choreography and when the puppets jump at the end and that's the ending, when they're like, da, 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 yeah. oh, and they all jump, <laughs>
1: I love it. It's great. It's so good. Those
0: puppets are amazing. I mean, it really gives you false hope, like a bunch of amateur you know, 12-year-olds couldn't <laughs> maneuver this. Marionettes. As a
1: daughter of an amateur puppeteer growing up, thank you, Muriel Pelko, that is some very <laughs> hard things to do. I mean, they had the, the the little band and like their cheeks were,
0: you know, moving in and out as they blew on their tuba. I, the yeah. eyebrows were getting me. I was like, how are they doing the eyebrows? Artistry. yeah. Need a lot of strings for that. Yeah. Did you know that they choreographed those puppets for real? The choreographers of the whole movie also choreographed the puppets. Oh, I love that. That was real choreography, legit. And then, okay, what else is there song wise that we should probably talk about? I mean, oh, so long farewell. That's, uh, I mean, it works on so many levels. It works because we're doing it when Austria is fun and we're saying goodbye at a party. And it works when we're saying goodbye to Austria because it's been overtaken by the Nazis brilliant song and placement. Oh my God. And I like that they, they bring the little theme back from that kind of in, in minor when the Nazis are chasing them around the Abbey and it becomes like creepy suspense. music. I called it the frantic Nazi theme in my notes.
1: Oh, <laughs> it becomes yes, exactly. the frantic Nazi theme, but you're right. It's yeah. a minor key. Because they're not major. I love one of my favorite moments in the entire movie that um, as a teen, I always made fun of, but it's like, it's just so ridiculous and lovely, is when they are in the goodbye song, they go up a goodbye. And then like, without any other interaction from the crowd, they're like the, it's like pretty realistic in a sense of being, you know, a movie musical, everybody in the hall goes goodbye, like everybody. And I just thought that was like the funniest shit when I was like 13. I always thought that it was
0: the very coolest thing that some of them were hiding behind the other ones and poking their heads out for the cuckoo (laughs) parts. To me, I was like, that's, brilliant oh my god like my child brain thought that was like the coolest thing ever height of choreography I'm sure you guys did this too because you were also you know involved in the world of theater as children which Von Trapp kid did you want to be I mean for me it was Marta I was about her age when I watched this I was six she was seven and I was like that's obviously the Von Trapp kid I want to be but now I might reassess clearly I mean she she doesn't have a lot to do Um, but when I was a kid, that was the one I wanted to be. Did did you want a pink parasol? I did. My mom bought me one. I'm not even kidding you. I, my mom bought me a pink umbrella because I wanted to be like Marta and she had a pink parasol, but we lived in Michigan and there was no sun. There was just rain. So she got me a pink umbrella instead. And I had a pink one just like Marta.
1: Thanks, mom. I love the line of uh, Julie Andrews when she is like giving it to Captain Von Trapp about like, you need to know your kids. And she's like, she's describing all of them. But one she says and her, oh, I forgot her name, but she's like, but her, I don't know much about her. I need to figure her out. But anyway, I was like, you know, everything about every other kid <laughs> and that poor middle child. She's like, I don't know shit about what's her face. It was Louisa.
0: Louisa. Yeah. And I have a theory. It's because Louisa was the one that could carry the jar of spiders in her hand, so I feel like maybe she's keeping a distance naturally. You know, that's the one you don't want to mess with. She was the one who pretended to be Brigida when they introduced themselves to. so you could tell she's she's like a little shifty. That's a good point, Jesse. I like her. Yeah. She's
1: cool. I never remember her name, but I like her. Brigitte. That was Louisa. Okay, so Zoe's Louisa. Yeah, and I think that's the ugliest dress I've ever seen. It's her. Yeah, yeah she's, I, she's I, pretty oh, cool. Oh, you like Brigida. That's Brigida. So Brigida's the one with the book. I don't know their names. There's seven of them. Seven. There's seven <laughs> children. Seven children? What's so fearsome about? Th- wait, 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 wait. What did she say? Captain with seven children. What's, What's so fearsome about, about that? that? <laughs> <laughs> like a lot, girl. A lot. I'm a mom of one. Okay. So you, I
0: I was seeing you as Brigida. If I'm being real, I was like, Uzoe would be a sassy, like a good Brigida. I think now I would like to be Brigitte. She's the smart one that likes books. So yeah, I would like to be her. And Jessie can be Liesl and stay to taste her first champagne. You know, she was the, the cool one. The old, I, I'm i I'm the oldest child. I, you know, as a seven-year-old felt a lot of affinity with teenage Liesl. I yeah. will say though, when she does that we at the end of her song, I would get so embarrassed for her. Like as watching it as a child, I'd be like, oh, please stop. Please stop doing that. I don't think he's far enough away. He can
1: hear you. It sounds bad. Please stop. So yeah, the we really hurt. It's a lot. Like it's, it's cringe. Like the rain is falling on her and it's, and it just kind of looks a little ghoulish.
0: That's just a very specific choice. And I wonder who, you know, was that right. in the script? Was that just a well, moment like, I want more. I feel like it was like, make a sound of joy or something. And that's her sound of joy. Or it, they, it really was we, and she took it super literally and really went with it. Yeah, it's It's a it's a cringy moment. I think that's the best way of putting it. So you're right. I do want to bring in some fun facts that I learned about this movie. Not some of them I knew before because you know I've been been preparing for this podcast my whole life. But I remember when uh, Julie Andrews was on Terry Gross uh, on Fresh Air with Terry Gross. She wasn't on Terry Gross. The um she talked about the opening shot of the film and how hard that was to shoot. So the movie starts off. Um, again, antithetical to a lot of musicals and very like Rodgers and Hammerstein where it doesn't begin with your typical big splashy musical number, it begins a little bit differently. So this one begins with us seeing an aerial shot of the Alps of the land and it's beautiful. And then we're introduced to like these little sounds like it's birds chirping and the breeze and the water. And then we kind of hear the orchestra warming up but also kind of making sounds like birds or like trilling rivers. And I was like, oh, that's really clever oh, you guys are so smart. So they put all that in and then we get this very iconic, all of you at home know what I'm talking about, shot of a woman in a field spinning And then we cut to a close-up of her, and it's Julie Andrews. But what we don't see, as viewers at home, was that there was a helicopter shooting all of this. And apparently, it would get very close to her, and it would knock her down every time. The force of the wind would knock her on the ground, and she would get covered in grass and soot and soil. (laughs) And then they'd have to start again. So... She hated shooting that. Really she was like, it. it sucked. It was painful. And if you'll notice, they cut immediately. So it's like they get as close to her as they can, probably before she fell. And then they cut to the <laughs> close up of her where she's fine and they don't have to shoot with a helicopter anymore. Um, so please take note of that. <laughs> but then I was thinking about them at the end because the end shot is like, you know, the family climbing every mountain. They're escaping into the Alps, they're all climbing, and you can see the helicopter making waves on the grass. And I was like, I wonder what that was like with those kids up there and how they. Did that without harming anybody? I guess they are a little further back in that shot, but yeah, it was rough shooting with the helicopter. The end of that movie always makes me so stressed out. Like, okay, they have no water, they have no provisions. How long is this hike? The Alps, like, th- that is some serious climbing. Gretel is five years old. I think Maria is wearing high heels. Like, they're not going to make it, guys. Not gonna make no it. but they are because maria knows that mountain she grew up on it she told us at the beginning she knows the mountain and captain Montrap still has the nazi gun so maybe he has shot a squirrel and they have made fire and they are i don't know if they have squirrels in the alps they there's they were able to survive and maybe it's really not that long of a walk because it could just be like they're on the way to freedom and they just got to get over the hill so maybe it's not as bad as we think maybe it's only like one full day, but that used to stress me out also, especially the lack of food and water and their bare legs out in the cold air. I was like, they had to spend the night up there. He did say he was like, we'll, we'll drive up into the hills. Like, you know, we'll get close and then we'll cross on foot. But I, I don't know.
1: I'm, I've, I I've st- remain uncomfortable with the ending of that movie. I feel like they're headed to their deaths. Absolutely. I was briefly in Austria and those hills are no joke. There's yeah. no there's no joke and I got I was on a cable car. It is stressful. It is stressful,
0: but one of them got a piggyback ride. So I was like that kid is living the life. Well, it was a 5-year-old who is, you know, not built for alpine hiking yet. Tiny legs. But at least we do have the like we know that since they're real people that they did survive. So at least we have that. I mean, I never knew they were real people until I was a grown-up. I think I was a grown-up when I found out this was based on a true story and went, "Oh, well, didn't know that." But now I'm like, "Okay, you know what? They did it." So it's fine. We're all fine. We don't have to worry about dehydration and animals killing them. Oh, there's dubbed voices here. And, ooh, this is really fun, you guys. So apparently the voices of both Captain Von Trapp and Peggy Wood were dubbed I was surprised by the Christopher Plummer one because it seems really natural. It seems like it's him singing, but apparently it's this guy named Bill Lee who did a lot of Disney stuff. And then um, Peggy Wood was dubbed by this woman, Marjorie McKay. And Peggy Wood played the mother superior who's got the big soprano voice. So, like, that makes a whole lot of sense to dub that. But what's also interesting is that Marnie Nixon is in this movie. She plays one of the nuns, specifically Sister Sophia, who's the one that sings like, when I'm with her, I'm confused, out of focus. And be-. That's, that's Marnie Nixon. And she holds that am for a really long time. And you're like, yes, hold that note. It's beautiful. But she was the dubber for like every musical in the 50s. She was the voice of Maria in West Side Story. Eliza, you're right. She was the voice of Eliza uh, she, Audrey Hepburn's part in My Fair Lady, and she was the voice of Deborah Carr in The King and I. So we have like the famous dubber herself in person in a role in this movie, not dubbing anybody. So that's fun. Good for her. Good for her. Right. I'm bummed to learn that Christopher Plummer's singing voice was dubbed, though. Because Me too. He was just so dreamy and. I thought he was singing and it just added to the, you know, misty. I do think that's um, a rite of passage though. When you're a kid, you do not find him attractive. And then something happens when you're older, you shift and you're like, oh, wow. Christopher Plummer is really hot in this movie. There's like a shift that happens. I don't know exactly when it happens, but it does in fact happen. Oh yeah. He's really sexy. It's like, oh, were you guys like noticing his Captain Von Trapp strut this time? He had like a strut for this character that I was very much noticing this time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and his boots at the in the concert mm-hmm. at the end, that whole, ah, uh, the yeah. look. Loved it's it. like the steely, sexy gaze, the witty cleverness, the deep down, I got a heart of gold of the character, him seeing the goodness in Maria that we all see and love, and her being like this outspoken, awesome, badass lady, and him being like, I pick that. Yeah, no wonder we all think he's hot. <laughs> he tears up a Nazi flag.
1: So sexy. <laughs>
0: You have to be strong to just rip that in half. I'm sure,
1: right? Like <laughs> it was not started. Like he just ripped it with his muscles. No, you guys, I
0: think it was started though. I think it was because he was looking for a spot. You could see him looking. He looks down the thread, and he, I think it's said he waits till the middle, so it really rips down the middle. But I think they started it for him. I think,
1: I think they did. I'm sorry, whatever, Sarah. It. It's still <laughs> impressive. <laughs> But I think he likes strong women. The Baroness is a strong woman, too. Mm -hmm. And this is something that we could get into, which we do not have to do. But I have so many thoughts on the Baroness. She is my girl. I don't think she's manipulative. I think she's awesome, badass lady who has a lot of money and she finally found a dude who doesn't want her for just her money. And she's like, maybe I don't like fall head over heels in love with you, but like you're better at these other assholes that I've been with, including probably my husband, since I laughed at the fact that he's dead. So obviously he wasn't that great. She has no kids. She obviously couldn't have them or didn't want them. And everyone's like, oh, she doesn't like kids. Like she's this monster. And I'm like, not everyone can like kids man she went into this relationship thinking that he doesn't have any relationship with his children that that's kind of the deal and he likes her for her and not just her money and they have fun it's going to be this great awesome life and then she gets there and she realizes that this dude that she like genuinely has affection for because she does tear up at the end she sees him fall in love with the help which fucking sucks And does she go crazy? Does she go all like parent trap, like bananas? Absolutely not. She keeps her cool. She is a badass lady, boss lady. She's like, you know what? I'm going to be cool. I'm going to like, let this be. It's fine. I'm not going to do anything. It's cool. The only reason why she finally does something is because they become so goddamn obvious when they dance together (laughs) and she sees it. And she's like, all right, dude, you're throwing me this party. I've been living here for like a few months. Obviously you're in love. I'm going to go talk to this lady. She goes up to the bedroom and she's like, look he likes you i think you like him then wonderfully the lady that's literally trying to steal her man is like okay peace out i leave and she's like awesome i oh i'm surprised she was genuinely surprised when she left it was not her intention to like shoo her away and fire her which she could do because she literally is the help she didn't do any of that she's like oh wow okay you're leaving i think you're going to be a great nun Peace out, girlfriend. And then she's happy about it, which everyone's like, oh, she's a bad person. Like, of course, she's happy about it. The person who's trying to steal her man just left on her own volition. Of course, she's freaking happy about it. And then when Maria comes back, she was like, "Okay, jigs up. Obviously, this isn't happening. So she classy ass girl as she is. She's like, you know what? I need somebody who's really into me. You're not that into me. I need somebody who's like adores me. And then she self-deprecates herself. And she's like, or at least likes my money. Cause apparently that's all I'm good for. Like, I can't find somebody who loves me just for me, which is super sad. And then she like kisses him on the cheek and exits stage left. She is a wonderful person. I love her. <laughs> I actually really appreciate that view
0: of it because, you know, it is more nuanced, you know? I do think that there is a low mean spiritedness in her, but that's probably cause she doesn't outright defy Nazis um that's maybe a little part of it and also the part with the boarding school when max is like what are you gonna do with those kids and she's like there's this wonderful thing called boarding school (laughs) and i also think our dislike of her just has to do with like she comes off a little vain and a little shallow but that's no crime She's a badass lady she has that line about like without my clothes, without my money, like, what am I? And I'm like, okay, that's self-aware. you got self-awareness. But so you've made an excellent case. I really only had those things to refute it of the not going out against Nazis enough and also the boarding school thing. That's it. That's really all I've got.
1: And the boarding school thing, like, I get it. But like at the same time, you didn't sign up to be like, mommy dearest to again seven children seven kids like when you entered this relationship the father didn't have any relationship with his kids and he was always gone she figured that's probably was going to continue and now she finds out that he's like a guitar playing singer and who like adores his children she's like what the fuck is this i really respect that she you know she is quick to
0: exit when she sees the writing on the wall and and she is classy about it And, you know, she doesn't humiliate herself, but I think it's too charitable of you that uh, she didn't go up to Maria's room the night of the
1: ball with, like, designs to
0: get her out of there. But what
1: would you do if you literally saw your soon-to-be fiancé falling in love with the nanny what would you do? Would you be like, I'm just going to sit back and wait till he cheats on me with her? I'm going to do something about it. No, no, I'm not saying I would have done anything
0: different, but I don't think she just went upstairs to have a chat. And then when Maria was like, oh God, I better leave. She's um, like, okay, great. Can I help you? Can I can I pack your bags?" <laughs> let me know if you ever ever need any help becoming a nun or yeah she has good like saucy asides I don't hate her and I'm kind of I actually have never seen the stage musical and was unaware of the her songs that were cut so I'm like kind of bummed that her role shrunk though it seems like those songs were perhaps cut for good reason they're they're decent songs it's I don't think she's really a villain in the play either You know, I don't really think they paint her that way. I think it's like what Zoe is saying. I think there's a lot more nuance there. Eleanor Parker plays her and she was like the biggest star of all of them at the time. So they were kind of taking a gamble casting Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer because they weren't stars. They weren't like super well-known. So Eleanor Parker was like the star that they put in this. And she is a really good actress. There's this movie called Caged that she did towards the beginning of her career um, where she plays like a woman imprisoned and not wrongly imprisoned, kind of wrongly imprisoned, but she's like held in prison for much longer than she should be. And it like follows her complete deterioration from being in prison. Like her going from like a very naive to just hard, like I will, I'm tough as nails and I like have seen too much now. Like, and she, you watch her performance and her transformation in that. And she's wonderful. So she's a really good actress. And that's why it's really funny to me that she makes this character choice of like, I'm really breathy and I talk really quickly for some time. Like she does this like breathy quick talking thing. And I was like, is she trying to do it? It's the thirties. So is she trying to emulate performances from the thirties in this role? I kind of give that vibe from her, Um, you know, Um, but I know in real life, she's a very good actress and she would have been like maybe the biggest name at the time. Well, no, that's not true. Cause when it came out, Julie Andrews, Mary Poppins had come out by that point but when she was cast in this Mary Poppins hadn't come out yet she wasn't famous yet they they took a chance on her was Julie Andrews in the original stage production she was not okay I'm so glad you asked um so Julie Andrews big break on Broadway was in a musical called The Boyfriend and then she got My Fair Lady um and then she did Camelot and uh her also she was in the tv Cinderella that Rogers and Hammerstein did um so she was like the originator of those songs on her voice, like those famous songs, like um, In My Own Little Corner. So yes, so she had been a Broadway star. She does Mary Poppins. Um, I forget which one of them had seen her. I almost feel like it was the screenplay writer or I forget someone saw the dailies of Mary Poppins. and They were like, this girl's a star. She's amazing. We need to scoop her up for this part before she signs any contracts and anyone takes her away. Because originally they were thinking like, um, Shirley Jones and maybe Grace Kelly. They were like, can we get her to come out of retirement for the part of Maria? Um, so they were thinking them, but yeah, uh, Julie Andrews wasn't famous yet was doing Mary Poppins and got snagged and she won the Academy award for Mary Poppins. So after that she could have gotten anything she wanted and thank God she did this. (laughs) Um, but the original, uh, Maria in sound of music was, uh, Mary Martin. Oh yeah. She was the, the OG Maria who's a famous, uh, Broadway actress, people at home. You may know her from like so many things, but I feel like Peter Pan was her other really big yeah. Broadway role. Oh, the Christopher Plummer part. There were a bunch of actors that they had set up to potentially play that part. And it was uh, Bing Crosby. Bing Crosby would have been in his 60s. Just want to point that out. Uh, Ewell Brinner, Sh- uh, Sean Connery, Richard Burton. They were all up for the captain. Uh, Robert Wise really wanted Christopher Plummer. He'd seen him in a show on Broadway. He went after him and was like, please. And Christopher Plummer was like, no. I don't want to. And he was like, look, we're reworking the stage play. This is my vision. And he kind of got him on board by being like, we're going to give your character more inner life, like more to do. So, um, he gets him on board. I think the same pitch was given to Julie Andrews too. I think they were like, look, we're changing the stage play a little. You're going to have so much more to work with. This is my vision. Um, Although I think after the fact, doesn't Christopher Plummer, I think there was that famous quote, how he hated kind of being recognized for this and it being like this really sweet thing. And he used to call it the sound of mucus. Wasn't that his like joke about it?
1: I heard that he did not like the film because it was too like cute and sweet, but he said the, the reason why he like, he enjoyed his experience working on it is because working with Julie Andrews was like a dream. Because it's Julie Andrews and she's amazing in American Treasure.
0: And they're great together. Yeah, they have great chemistry. Yeah, they're they both do. excellent actors. I think Julie Andrews is a great actress and oh, she yeah. can sing. She's perfect. Although when I was a kid, the acting choice of her like touching her head all the time used to bother
1: me. And I used to be like, why are you touching your head? Why? I used to think that if you had short hair, it's just like what you did.
0: There is that moment in my favorite things where she like looks very frazzled and grabs her head. And I still don't get that at all. But but otherwise she's perfect. I don't either. <laughs> I think it's just like I've got to think of more things. There's a lot of kids. I gotta think. But yeah, I don't. I don't get that either. Her hair
1: acting game was not up to par.
0: Do you think? Oh my God! Is it the habit? Oh! <gasps> Do you think it's because she was a nun and she's supposed to have that habit wimple, whatever that is, on, and that she was supposed to? Maybe that's it. She's always like, oh, I'm supposed to have my wimple. No, I'm not. I'm not a nun. I don't know much credit. You're giving her too much credit. Really reaching. (laughs) It was like a character tick, I guess. We love her. Oh, this is a side note, but I did read that the little girl that played Gretel um, almost drowned in that boat scene when they, when they're, the captain brings the Baroness home and he's like, where are my children? And they come up in the boat and the boat tips over. You'll notice they cut away. So apparently all the kids fell in. The littlest one who's five does not know how to swim is drowning And um, somehow they like rescue her. And then when they cut back to the shot, it's Julie Andrews carrying her and you're like, Oh
1: God. What we don't see is her like tr- almost dying and Juliander is saving her life. You can see her like popping up out of the water. Like the boat is capsized. You can tell she's kind of like under the boat and everyone's like, oh, captain, you're home. And there's this like drowning child, like, like in the background. Like It's like a lot. Check, like watch for it next time you're, your, next time you view it. It is uh pretty special. And isn't
0: there another time when
1: she falls, but nobody yeah. notices? it. It's yeah, like when she's running along the river and they're all skipping and she's trying to skip and she just like biffs it. Yeah. Oh, and Do Re Yeah.
0: Yep. Nobody checks on it. No, I never. Heard it. I didn't notice that. Let's get into Do Re Mi. Do Re is an epic piece of musical film that we need to discuss because I feel like on stage it's very simple, right? Oh, and how great is this song? It has taught children solfege forever if you want to teach Solfege, you just teach them this song. And Solfege people at home is what Do is. It's like teaching kids music. It's the names that they give to the notes in the music to teach kids about notes and music and how to (laughs) sing and play music and stuff. (laughs) So like Do is C, right? So instead of saying C, we say Do. It makes sense if you're into music. Yeah. So uh, she's like teaching kids Solfege through this song. Um, And I think on stage it's like just them frolicking a little bit, but here we get this whole scope. It turns into something so much more. We see all of Austria, and we see them like learning to love life and being out in the world and
1: Maria being out in the world for the first time, really, I think. And it's over like a multitude of days. So it kind of lets you understand how long they've been together, how much they're, they're bonding, how much they're learning. So it's, it's nice that they use the setting and costume changes and activities to show like how many different things they're doing. It helps you like yes. buy into the bond that they have over like over one song like it's great yeah it is like a perfectly orchestrated montage
0: and their play clothes are just their drapery clothing is just so darn cute Louise's little like head kerchief that she has i'm always like ah oh, that's adorable i really like that look it's really cute i love too that they took so we have our Soulfish song sung in the mountains doe a deer a female deer ray a drop of golden sun you know it you don't even need me to sing it to you um they get better at solfege throughout, and so by the end they can. We like watch them get more advanced. So, like what Zoe was saying is that it happens over time. So I love that it's not just in like on stage; it's one musical number, and that's it. And they learn this complex like musical theory in one moment. And so I like that, like, it does show the steps of time that they potentially could learn this. But I also love that the song, they'll like add things that they're doing to the song. So like far, a long, long way to run. It's like, oh, look, we're pretending to have a race at this part and you're running. Um, And then I do love them showing the music through steps, literal, like, so it's not just like notes or steps, but that like we're on steps and we're showing you how music works on steps. Um, and then we have the classic, like them walking around the fountain, we've got the classic bike choreography, which this time around, I was noticing poor Marta's little legs. Cause they each have to be forward on a certain note and she's so little and she's pedaling so fast, so hard, struggling to get there. And she makes it and You're like, Oh, Marta yeah. you did it. Um, but yeah, it's so iconic. Cause they're just, they're doing such simple things, but they're utilizing the place and like what's going on in the music to really give us a full effect. And it totally works. I don't need very fancy choreo. I just need what you're giving me. And it's great. Yeah, it helps that Salzburg is gorgeous.
1: Yeah. It helps. (laughs) Love letter to Austria. It's just awesome. Stunning. Uh, Yeah. How
0: many places did they go? It was like, there's the market, the carriage ride, the fountain, the other fountain, the vines. Where else were they? The Alps.
1: Well, the garden, the bike ride on the river, the skipping along the river.
0: They get around. I did have skipping notes. I was like, that's not how you skip but it was choreography. It's fine. I'll allow it. What kind of skipping is that? <laughs> it was like
1: kicking. Yeah. Like straight legs. really skipping. Yeah. It was like-
0: <laughs> um, what else? Oh, we skipped over. How do you solve a problem like Maria, which how many musicals have a song with nuns conversationally chatting about a problem? And it explains who Maria is as a character. And the lyrics are good. It's, it's yes, witty.
1: Very witty. Um, I, I hate the nuns' habits, though. They're so severe and... and the wrinkles. The wrinkles are always what gets yeah. me. It's like the weird wrinkles on the side. It looks, it looks like their <laughs> necks are all wrinkly. Uh-huh. I didn't like it. Well, I mean, that's why I thought they were the witches. Because of that you know, necky thing. It looked like the rolled doll, the witches. That tracks. Totally understandable. And yeah. I get how you were frightened of the nuns as a child, Sarah, because Nellie is incredibly picky about what she watches and she doesn't really watch movies at all. Like, she's, like, not into Disney movies. She's not into anything. It's like, it's a thing. But for an extended period of time she would request the people show and that would be sound of music that is one of the only movies that she was cool with watching and like short little like stints but with <laughs> the exception of the nuns she did she wanted nothing to do with those nuns she was like no mommy no nuns. And I'm like, okay, you got it, girlfriend. Fast forward, the <laughs> nuns. So I've actually seen the first half. I've not exposed to the Nazi part of this movie. Don't worry, America. But for the beginning half of the film, we have watched, like, I've watched it a lot with the exception of the nuns.
0: Ooh, although you just reminded me that I did have, when I was a kid, I used to have a recurring nightmare about Nazis finding me. Like in my nightmare, I would have to hide from the Nazis and they would find me. <laughs> and i wonder if it stems from this movie and also just from being jewish probably both but it, that was a nightmare of mine i would have to find a place in my house and hide from the nazis because oh, they were man. coming into to our You're house. welcome
1: for you know reminding you of that
0: and one time i had to hide in the floorboards Great. and they pulled up oh, the floorboards okay. and they found oh, wow. me really scary dreams as a kid <laughs> um but yeah i wonder if it's from this movie this yeah. happy film <laughs> anyway um oh you know what we also haven't talked about a musical number that i think is so special and again utilizes like the adaptation to film really well is something good the number when maria and the captain get together finally all of this waiting all of this chemistry finally culminates and we don't even see their faces they're singing a song to each other in shadow it's their silhouettes um, making a heart. those silhouettes make a heart <laughs> in in the gazebo of love, um, with like the moonlight and the and nature in the background. Um, and it's a gorgeous, gorgeous shot and a beautiful way to tell a story and a creative way to tell a story. So, yeah, I loved all of that that it's not just like, full close-up of their perfectly lit faces. Like they're in shadow, but we see the glint of their eyes. Like it's so expressive. It's so lyrical without showing us everything. It still tells us everything. Does that make sense? Yeah. I just think it's really special. Yeah. It's not too cheesy. It's a really, it's a really nice moment that I thought was incredibly boring as a child, but uh, it is, it is now a song that I really appreciate. (laughs) As a kid, I used to, um, so, you know, when they like get together in the silhouette and he like kisses the side of her head, I always thought he looked like a monkey, his shape, his face shape changes. Cause you can't see the front. And so it looks like a monkey is kissing her. And that's, I always thought that as a kid, because I, you know, you'd get bored during this number and you wouldn't listen to what they were saying. You're just looking at the pretty pictures. And I did think that I was like, he looks like a monkey and she's kissing a monkey.
1: I always thought it was awkward the way he kissed her at the end when he was like, like, like it's all muffled because he's like on her face. And I always thought that was like weird and I didn't like it as a kid that's when he looks like a monkey Zoe there you go the monkey kissing I don't like I didn't like it either because I think he's saying it into the side of her head I think he's yeah. like kissing the side of her forehead maybe but it made me think he was like
0: licking her like I didn't like it it's just really weird to me as a child but it does look really pretty. And I do remember a friend when saying that they hated it because she was like, what if they're doing the best acting of their careers and we will never see it. And I was like, yeah, but it serves the medium. I'm into it. And we didn't really talk about the song. We did talk about the song confidence kind of, I think that's another one where we get to see Austria. We get to see her travel and um, like giving herself advice. And I think that's a great song in general. It says some things that I need to hear sometimes she's like, you know what, while I'm showing them, I'll show me that I have confidence. And I was like, yeah, I, I do that too. I need to do that too.
1: Thanks, right? It's like the, it's like the positive affirmation song. Like, I feel like it's such a wonderful, like Maria has it going on. Like speaking of, you know, wicked childhood, you know, so we get to know that she had this awful upbringing. She had This, you know, was not happy, struggled, you know, whatever that is. They didn't go into it, but we, we know that she had a really hard childhood. She didn't end up like, you know, wanting to be a nun, which, you know, doesn't necessarily mean you had a hard childhood, but like she was trying to find family that she doesn't have otherwise. So something went on. She's like this wonderful person because she she has the tools that she's using mentally to like get her out of hard places like she's obviously had to do that in the past. And I like how this song is like it's such a reflection of why she's the person that she is because she came from hardship and she's but she was able to talk herself out of it. She she talks about her favorite things to get her out of like depression or sadness. She has positive affirmation songs about confidence to get her out of hard situations. Like she's this really cool lady who, you know, mental health wise, like good job. like she's, She's doing
0: well. I'm realizing now she's such a dichotomy because she has so much world wisdom. Truly she does. Um, Like what you were just saying, she knows how to pick herself up when she is feeling down, Um, like mental health wise. She's really great at that kind of stuff. But it's so interesting that she is so outspoken and so honest and so able to like stand up to the captain and not be afraid of him. But then at the same time, she like wants to be a part of this institution that will shut her up, that won't let her talk, that won't let her sing. And I just think that's so interesting because I'm like, well, what did you see there, Maria, really? Because she's like, well, when I saw the nuns, what did she say? She's like, I-, I wanted to be like them. You know, I saw them singing and taking care of
1: people. So you singing on the way to mass. And yeah, I'll, like it seemed like a beautiful life. And yeah. to which like the, like what, mother something? I don't
0: know. Reverend Mother.
1: Reverend Mother's like, that doesn't mean you're ready for this life. But Jessie
0: said her real name, Mother Abbess. You were right, Jesse. That's her real name. Uh, that's actually one of the only aspects of her character that I feel is is pretty tenuous like what the hell is this girl doing in a convent in the first place I just I don't I don't buy it at all well and why does she so desperately want it because it's like you have to quash squish all these parts of you that are wonderful and also they were like she's singing in the abbey and I'm like you were just singing in the abbey how dare you let
1: her sing man what do they do all day
0: they can't sing they can't dance they just pray they, the they pray a lot I guess. darkened studies (laughs) it's not a good fit for
1: Maria Uh. no not not a good good fit fit. no and all I can think of is that like she came from a horrible upbringing she has no family whatsoever she has no profession she saw some women together they looked like they're fed they're singing okay it's a
0: safe place. It's a place where you can have security.
1: Yes. He says like, don't send me away. Don't send me one. This is my home. This is my family. One person of your family members said that you're a demon. So <laughs> literally you know, your standards are pretty low. Also what? Oh my
0: God. My brain just exploded. Cause I just realized something. Wait, Maria is to sister Berta as the children are to their nannies, right? Maria drives Berta nuts. And, and we don't really know why Berta hates her so much. Cause we're like, Maria's lovely. What a gem she is. But Berta is like, no, I hate her. She, what, what's, she's a clown. She's a demon. She's a headache. You know? So like, you're like, oh, what happened here? Cause everyone else thinks she's kind of fun and she makes her laugh and stuff. But yeah. So I was just realizing that like, oh, so Maria must be to her what the children were to their previous nannies. So Maria like has experience with like annoying people and so therefore <laughs> can understand <laughs>
1: what the children are going through the and what children. that's like. <laughs> yeah.
0: How old is Maria? Do they say is she like early twenties?
1: I would assume.
0: Cause I was like, how old is the captain and how old is Maria?
1: I mean, if she ha- wasn't in the real world, like she wasn't in quote unquote the world, as they mentioned, like she was pre- a child. And then my impression is she immediately went into the abbey when she, like, came, like, got kicked out or whatever. So she's,
0: like, maybe 20 then. If she, like, went from 18, if she's been in the Abbey for, like, two years or so, she might be, like, 20. So she's only four years older than Liesl, maybe. If somehow it works, though. Like, it's yeah. the love story is believable and her as a mother figure to Liesl, you know, it's all fine. I do think, I mean, I can't imagine Bing Crosby as the captain, but, like, you you could have gotten away with an older captain, probably. Yeah, and pulled it off without being too skeezy. But this was this was the right choice. Yeah, yeah, I oh, agree. Yeah. Well, and Mary Martin was a little older too, so Maria wasn't necessarily written as someone that's very young. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, you're right. It doesn't feel skeezy. I think it's because they. in love with each other for each other it's like they bring out something in each other and it's like more of a mental connection oh the line she has in the song um somebody kind who touches your mind will suddenly touch your heart so you're like okay they fell in love in not a shallow way it was a very
1: a, a deeper
0: kind of love that is beyond their age difference
1: i mean talk about a fantasy that conversation that she has with her 16 year old daughter of like just wait a couple years Wait a year or two. You're 16, you fell in love, you had some heartache. Yeah, just don't go back to that pool. Just wait a couple of years. And the 16-year-old is like, Okay, great, mom. Yeah. Great talk. She also so
0: so like world weary. You know, she's like, you know what, this happened to me. And I'm like, No, it didn't, Maria.
1: This literally <laughs> never happened to you. Yeah, you never had a crush until your crush was on God and then you broke up with God. When you left the Abbey. Like this is your analogy.
0: Wait, but this is something that Maria does because she does this earlier too when um she just gets advice from Mother Abbess about like, um, you have to face your fears, right? And so she goes back to Von Trapp's house and she says to Lisa, Well, Lisa, you have to face your fears. Like she's known this advice the whole time. Okay. And so that's <laughs> just what she does. She learned it yesterday. <laughs> yeah. I maybe at least simulated this. She's like me when I learned something new. I'm like, ugh, you have not known this the whole time. <laughs> (laughs) So I got that a lot, but that's what Maria does. So I feel like she's, she's like, I'm just, I, I'm really good at giving advice. So allow me, even though I've never really lived it. Oh, something I did notice this time that I thought was cool is when Captain Von Trapp is saying like poetry to the Baroness, it's very similar to the lyrics of The Sound of Music. So I was like, oh my God, him and Maria are meant for each other because they like express themselves in similar ways. How cool is that? I love it when he calls her captain by accident. I yeah. really like mm-hmm. that. Um, Cause she's so in control and powerful. My God, I love an outspoken woman. I cannot help it. She's so cool. I just want to be as brave as Maria all the time.
1: And it's really interesting that like, looking at it, it could have so, we're talking about like skeeziness and like that kind of thing. It could have so skewed, especially under a modern lens of being super inappropriate and creepy because she is the help. I mean, she's, she's the nanny pretty much. And it, it never struck me as a power thing. He's her employer. It doesn't like hit that note. And it, kind of should but it doesn't they do it in a way because of their chemistry I think and because of the nuanced awesome way that Julie Andrews stands up to him even when he is like I'm your boss do this thing I'm a dick like the way that she comes back at him she she masters this beautiful line of like I'm going to stand up to you because you're you're being a dick but also there's chemistry there that I also believe and understand that there is respect there that i even though he just disrespected you but there also is respect there it's, it's a really she weaves this line really masterfully of that that could have crumbled so easily i am not bothered by it at all the fact that he that she is subservient that she is hired by him that like nope doesn't doesn't bother me at all and i'm like that that's shocking really Right. You really don't feel the power imbalance at all. If, you know,
0: she immediately asserts herself. Yeah. And Sarah, like you said, it feels like she is often in control of their, of their interactions. And so it doesn't, it doesn't feel like you know, he is her superior who is taking advantage of her. I think it's because she can't help but be herself. She is so authentic that it's like the idea that she is lesser than anyone has never occurred to her. Like she's not lesser than the captain because she doesn't have the same career. She like sees the value in herself, I guess. She has confidence, right? <laughs> so I just love that. And I do want to say like, what he is expecting of her is ridiculous. That part when he's like, it was the nanny's fault. We've been through 12 nannies. And she's like, what's wrong
1: with the children? He's like, there's nothing wrong yeah. with the children. Uh-huh. Only the governesses. Okay. I don't know about that.
0: But the expecting people to come at a whistle and her breaking that down and being like, well, whistles are okay for like animals that you want to train, but like not for people and not for children. No, no, no. Um, so yeah, just- he, what he is expecting is ridiculous, and I feel like she names that. <laughs> it's like no, 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 this isn't working. This yeah, doesn't work immediately. Yeah, yeah, she whistles at him right away. Yeah, yeah. what does she say to him? God, I'm really bad in quotes. What's your signal? Because they each have a signal. He says, "You may call me Captain." Oh, I do want to talk about their wedding. Um, I love that she walks herself timeless down the stress. aisle. St- timeless dress, correct, Jesse. Um, yeah, I like that. She walks herself down the aisle. When I was a kid, I thought that's what you were supposed to do. So in my brain, if I was like, I'm ever getting married. I'm like, I'm walking by myself like Maria does, but the song she's, uh, marching to my mom played at her wedding. When she got remarried, she had the, the Maria March that she walks down the aisle to. So that's always special, but it's just, it's really beautifully It's like not necessary that they show us that whole thing, that whole spectacle. I'm not entirely sure why they did it, but I'm glad that they did. So we could get the
1: full like effect of how important this is. It made me realize how important he was. Like he's this decorated war, general, the military jargon that was decorated by the emperor. It kind of like hit home for me. It's like, oh yeah, you're like really important. Like you're a really important dude. And it transitions
0: her, I think, from, you know, when she's the governess, I think of her as more of a girl. And now this is like, now she's the mom. Now she's grown up and she's become a woman. And I feel like the very, uh, the very formal wedding conveys that. And then they show us it in the Abbey too. So they show like the nuns supporting it as well. And this, them almost being like her family, since she doesn't have family there. And we did mention who are all these people. We don't know. I don't, that was a very full house. There were a lot of people there, like hundreds of people. They're not Maria's friends. They're not her friends. Her friends were behind a cage. Her friends were the nuns yeah. and they had to stay behind the cage. But yeah. It, the, the dress was really gorgeous. I did feel bad for her when she was walking up those stairs. Cause it looked really difficult because the dress looks really heavy and the stair has no railing. And I was like, Oh, if it was me, I'd be like, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. But she, she's great. She's really smart and she crushes it. She didn't fall. Not that being smart prevents you from falling.
1: I don't know where that. (laughs) (laughs) Her inner ear function
0: is fabulous. Something that has bothered me for a long time that I want to talk about right now is so Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein, the we mentioned many times they wrote the music of the lyrics and the way that they worked as a songwriting team is that Oscar Hammerstein would write the lyrics first. And then Richard Rogers would write the music that went with the lyrics. So the lyrics are very important in these songs. Like they're the foundation of what Richard Rogers would work off of. So it's always been interesting to me is that the song Edelweiss rhymes the word me with me and the word forever with forever. And I'm like, why? If You're so obsessed with lyrics. And what I was thinking today, it might be. So like, Flower Drum Song was another musical that Rodgers and Hammerstein did together. And in that musical, they took, it's about like Chinese immigrants, Um, in San Francisco and so they took a traditional Chinese song format and worked it into one of the songs so that they could like express Chinese um, culture and ancestry through this one song but made it like a popular song like it had English contemporary lyrics but was structured like an ancient Chinese song and I was wondering if they chose to do that um, in Edelweiss rhyming me with me and forever with forever if it's because it had something to do with like the folk cultural song structure um because they were very smart they wouldn't just do that for no reason but i wanted to ask one if that ever bothered you that they chose that they rhymed the same words with the same words in edelweiss and two (laughs) if what you think about that that theory this is a little over my head i actually always wondered if if it was sort of a classic austrian tune or something that they had it is
1: the national flower right yeah I think it is. Yeah. I said, yeah,
0: really confidently. I, I don't know. know. I was like, Good job. <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: I don't know. So, <laughs>
0: I didn't even really know it was an original Richard Rodgers Oscar Hammerstein com- composition. So. so
1: they did their job. That kind of answers Sarah's question, right? Because like, you know what I mean? It gave you an impression that it was this traditional song. Therefore, it sounds different than the other music in the show besides the other, you know, like dance that they do that, it, that they call out as being a traditional folk dance. So, I mean, that. That tracks. That absolutely tracks.
0: But what about the rhyming? Why would you rhyme? You look happy to meet me with every morning you greet me. Why would you do that? And why would you rhyme? Bloom and grow forever. Bless my homeland forever. Why would you? I don't know. So it had. There has to be a meaning there. And I, I, maybe it is just that that is an Austrian structure of a song. For years, I've been like, but forever and forever, you. That's not. You can't rhyme the same word. All right. Ooh, I did just look down. And see, so remember how we were talking about earlier how the, the Baroness isn't really a villain? I did notice when they're playing their, like, number ball game that she's the number six, which is the devil's number. Oh, she is the number six. She is very bad at that game. She's
1: really, oh. she's not good with kids. She is not good with kids. She doesn't have any kids. She was married, didn't have any kids. Like, she doesn't like kids. And that's Okay. You're not Maria, right? That's what Maria's good at. You got to be you.
0: And if you're good at just like hanging out and maybe chatting with kids, kids will appreciate that too. As a person who was a nanny for a very long time, like kids <laughs> will connect with you on different levels. You don't just have to play with them. If that's not your thing and you're bad at it, find another way. There are other ways. That pink lemonade would have been a great starter. If I was right? a kid, when I was a kid, I was like, yes, pink lemonade. I want to drink that pink lemonade. We could have sat and chatted, you know? So yeah, not all adults. You don't have to play with kids if that's not your thing. It's okay. There's
1: other ways to connect with children if you need and to. And like she, she appreciated their antics. Like when they flipped over in the boat and the captain was all like, this is awful. She was like giggling in the background. Like she thought it was hilarious. I'm like, yeah, girl. And when they were singing to her, she was not full on evil stepmother. <laughs> no, I agree. And she could have been, but she wasn't. She's just a lady. She's just yeah. a badass lady. Found herself in a situation where her man fell in love with another woman before her eyes
0: with great clothes and her wardrobe was amazing oh so Mm -hmm. good amazing Mm -hmm. I just that uh the gold dress I wanted that as a kid so bad I was so pretty uh, Mm -hmm. yeah uh and that one with the pink where she's got like the bow on the side when she first meets them it's so chic oh she looks great she is dressed very fancy for their breakup scene yes she is sultry red and black sequined ensemble yeah it was, uh, they had like Wiener schnitzel for dinner. So I don't know, it comes up in the in the dialogue
1: and you were like, that is just a b- extremely fancy outfit for a little casual dinner. To be fair though, Maria wore her flirting dress, that blue flirting dress that they fell in love when they were dancing. That lady, she knows what she's doing. She wore that dress for a reason too. They each wore their finest goods to
0: outlook each other. I did love Maria's dress, her fancy dress with the puffy sleeves. I remember liking that as a kid and thinking like, yeah, that is a really nice dress. Those sleeves are flowy. I dig it.
1: Eh. You didn't like it?
0: Well, I just thought she couldn't hold a candle to the Baroness. And as much as I love Julie Andrews, I, I just have never loved the, the little pixie bob or pixie cat, whatever the hair is. Well, isn't that a nun thing too? Like, don't you have to cut your hair off when you become a nun? Isn't that a thing? It's probably more comfortable under that hood. Yeah. Also, this has bothered me my whole life in the song. How do you solve a problem? Like Maria, they cite that she wears curlers in her hair under her wimple, right? Right. I'm sorry. Yes. Her hair is very short. Where, how
1: do those curlers fit? Riddle me that they don't Is the answer. And also like, what does her hair look like after curlers? Like it'd be a crazy helmet thing. <laughs> like it wouldn't be a good look. Oh, also this time around, I had never noticed this.
0: Captain Von Trapp's hair changes after he falls in love. After they get married, he starts wearing it like a little looser, like it was kind of more slicked back before. But then he's got like a man kind of like wave curl to the side thing. It's like looser. Fabulous. I was like, (laughs) oh, that's love. You're different now. You're laid back wait no the costumes can we though like I love when Maria starts looking really good like when she wears I think the first time she looks really good is when she wears the beige dress in the market with that fancier hat of like the she had the crappy hat when she came to their house at first and this is like the fancy version of that hat I think that's when she starts to look really nice. I love all of her like Corseti Austrian the stripe
1: dress. I love the stripe dress. And when she's in the wagon, that's like one of my favorite things of her. It like fits her like really, really well. I love that one. The rest of them were just peasant clothes to me.
0: <gasps> oh, <laughs> I love like the way she's doing the Lendler and it's got like the little, it's like cream with the little spotty things on it. It looks like fun. Fine. I'd wear it. I was very down for the Baroness's wardrobe only. Oh, and I do love Maria's yellow traveling suit. Just side note, her yellow traveling suit, Gorge. I would agree with
1: that. She's getting paid because she has a job. So like Mm -hmm. these are that, like that hat, she did not make herself. Like she went out and bought a new straw hat. And I remember watching it this time being like, good for you, Maria. You bought yourself a hat. You go girl. Oh, and I do
0: love just a fun detail. I love that the second time she goes to the Abbey, they show us the new postulate checking in who was wearing the cute dress. So the second time she leaves the Abbey, she actually has a cute dress to wear (laughs) instead of the ugly one from the first time she's wearing the dress that the woman was wearing in the scene before. And fun Sarah life fact, when I was a kid, you remember in the nineties, how people had like short hair, like that was like a style in the nineties. How women had like short hair sometimes. Oh, yeah. So my mom got her hair cut like that. And my mom had a dress that looked just like that. So sometimes I'd be like, my mom is Maria. She's having a Maria day because she had that teal looking dress with the short hair and they had like the same hair color and stuff. So sometimes I felt like my mom was like Maria because I was like, whoa, they look the same. Cool. So did she take the dress from that girl who was checking into the asylum? Because they have to give all the worldly (laughs) goods. (laughs) No, like it is the same dress. But you see that girl, and I'm like, no, don't like like the nuns are very nice, but like, don't do it. It's not fun. It is so much more fun to be frolicking in the Alps. But don't you know where you live? Go eat some schnitzel. The chocolate is supposed to be amazing. The puppets are great. Get out of that, Abby. The puppet shows in Austria, I tell you, they're like nothing else. Top notch. Oh, and also I just want to mention, Um, we've been talking like costumes. I want to say like, shout out the art direction, the sets. The choreo and then i found out today that the choreo was done by a married couple named mark bro and dd Dee Dee wood and they choreographed mary poppins and so that's why they were like also called on to do this um i do want to just shout out the cast in general like we talked about i want to say robert wise was the director uh we already discussed it the job almost went to william Wyler. he actually backed out he was set to do it backed out to make another picture so he backs out of Sound of Music to do that. Robert Wise was supposed to make a movie called The Sand Pebbles. So he was unavailable, but he was like everybody's first choice. And so when his movie got pushed, they were like, pick him quick, get him. Um, so they they got Robert Wise that way um, via delay. And they wanted him. He had done West Side Story and he adapted that really successfully. And that won Best Picture in 1961. So they knew that he like understood musicals and how to adapt them to film. And so I'm really glad that they got him. Um, some other Robert Wise films that you might have seen people at home are West side story. Uh, somebody up there likes me the haunting, which he did right before this, which I love that. Like you do a horror film right before the sound of music, clearly natural, And then he did transition star Trek. Yeah. yeah. Totally really natural transition. So then the rest of the cast, I'll just name them really quick. We mentioned Julie Andrews. She played Maria. Some of you at home, I don't know how you would not know Julie Andrews, but if you don't, you would know her from Mary Poppins, her Academy Award winning role in Mary Poppins. Um, Victor Victoria, 10, Thoroughly Modern Millie, and The Princess Diaries. Um, And I mentioned her Broadway resume earlier. The Boyfriend, My Fair Lady, Camelot, Cinderella on TV, Rogers and Hammerstein. I almost called it Oscars and Hammerstein. That's not right um christopher Plummer, we mentioned him you may know him from somewhere in time love that movie and beginners um eleanor parker the baroness she was in this film called caged as well as several other films peggy wood played mother abbess she was in a movie called the story of ruth about like you know the bible and stuff and she was on the tv show mama which comes from the movie i remember mama and i guess that was like a big show it had like 175 episodes so Richard Hayden played Max he's in and then there were none and then some of the children Charmy and Carr played Liesl and she's also in a terrifying uh made for tv movie called Evening Primrose with Anthony Perkins and Stephen Sondheim did the music and it's really scary for kid me really really got scared no that's not true Teenage is kid. she the mannequin yes. isn't it about a mannequin spoiler alert they get turned into mannequins it's about a guy that wants to live in the mall from now on, and he discovers that there's a bunch of mall people that live there all the time, and they only come out at night. And then if you somehow discover them, you you have to stay forever. You can never leave. And one time, a six year old girl fell asleep at the mall, and then they kept her there. They wouldn't let her go. And she doesn't want to be in the mall. And Charmian Carr plays her, and she sings a song called "I Remember Sky," and it's really sad. And they fall in love. She falls in love with Anthony Perkins, and they try to escape. But guess what? Because it's twisted AF. They turn into mannequins. That's the end. The music's pretty good, but it's scary.
1: I think. I feel like I sang a song from that show, not knowing what it's from. It's got famous songs. And because the lyrics were really weird. Yeah.
0: I sang I Remember Sky. My voice teacher like gave that song to everyone. And I never knew how messed up it was. Yeah. It's about a child who was captured by mall people and never allowed to leave the mall again. And now she's a teenager. She remembers Mm -hmm. Sky. Okay, so anyway, so check that out. <laughs> so it's Sherman Carr Evening Primrose, and then um Angela Cartwright was the only other like famous person that was in the cast of Children, and she played Brigitte, and she was on the Danny Thomas show, and Ernest Lehman wrote the screenplay, um and also a bunch of famous people auditioned to be the Von Trapp kids, and they didn't get it, like Mia Farrow and Leslie Ann Warren. There was like a whole list of a bunch of famous people that didn't get cast as the Von Trapp children. They were really believable as a family. I thought. Yeah as a group yeah. of child actors, they were, they were great. I mean, we do get creepy kid face sometimes, but that's, I can't blame a kid for that. I have creepy face on camera too. <laughs> so like I would be smiling weird as well. If you put a camera on my face, I would forget how to be a person. So <laughs>
1: what do I do with my hands? Just smile.
0: I know the Nazis have arrived, but I'm a child smile. <laughs> like <laughs> you. I wrote creepy Kurt face. Um, because he does a creepy face when they're singing. What are they singing? I think it's the raindrops and Rose's thing. He's like behind the bars of her bed and he like is smiling and slowly goes up. And I'm like, it looks so creepy every time. It's like child murder face, like, like the bad seed. Um, yeah, I I do, um, just as a side note, I love the way they sing Dia when they're like, Do, a dia, a dia, a female, dia, love it. And then I love that they have Liesel go after for no reason. She's like, "When that happens, after it happens," and you're like, "What? What?" It's <laughs> different from how you were singing.
1: There was some like coach coming on set, be like, "Can you just do after?" I need to get a paycheck. I need to see. Have I need to come talk to you for some reason? Just say after. Okay, bye. No, just leave.
0: So before we go to the modern lens, like, I feel like we definitely miss stuff. I feel bad. Like, what did we miss? I mean, it's a long movie. There's much to say. Before I move on really quick, we didn't talk about the song, The Sound of Music. So I want to end on that note because, you know, it's great. It's the name of the the play and the movie. And uh, I believe that the song is a really gorgeous song. I think that it does what I was saying earlier. It adapts to film because they're literally utilizing the land. Like we're learning things about Maria. We're learning that she's adventurous, that she's carefree, that she appreciates nature. Like we're learning a lot about her, but then we're also focused on the land. Like when she does that loop through the trees as she's singing about the trees and when she's like walking by a brook, you're like, oh my God, this is so beautiful it's such a great way to start the film and then it also encapsulates like what the whole thing is about. Cause the whole play is about like how music can bring you together and change you in so many different ways, right? It brings a family together. It briefly brings together that, that country for that moment when they're singing it together. So it just shows the power of the sound of music, but then it's also just this gorgeous little song. So I love like the arching metaphor of all of it. Um, it's just a really beautifully, it's a beautifully lyric song. Yeah. And one more thing before we go, something that I miss about musicals of yore, I don't miss the lack of representation. I don't miss a lot of stuff, but I miss how melodic old musicals were because I feel like a lot of musicals today are all very belty and everything is poppy and belty sounding. So it's just like, I'm yelling at you and this is what I'm singing and I'm singing the whole time. And I'm like, that's great. But (laughs) what I want is like something really melodic that doesn't need to be the most difficult thing in the world to sing. It just sounds beautiful and it expresses something. Cause I think now it's like, we have to have it be really challenging because that's the feat. That's what people are paying to see. And like, yeah, but I'd be cool with like a really gorgeous song and a really good story. So I kind of love that about this, that it feels like a lot of people could sing these songs, you know, maybe not Julie Andrews songs, but you can sing along with them, but they're melodic, they're thoughtfully lyriced and they're very expressive and they tell a great story. And I'm just a big fan.
1: And it's it's withstood the test of time. And I think that's a big indication of that. And I wonder how much, like what trends survive, right? We won't know that for a long time, obviously. But I think there's obviously a reason why a movie, like a movie musical, like Sound of Music, has withstood the test of time. And under really, like under the lens of today, which is, you know, we look at stuff much more intricately much more like with much more education with higher standards as we should but even with all of that we look back on this movie and still like love it I think that says a lot obviously it has its shortcomings like which we've talked about
0: well and which we're gonna get into in the modern lens in a
1: moment too anyway I think this one deserves the classic status that it has
0: it has it all and it's such a great personal family story and then you also have the you know dramatic heft with the Nazi subplot there too. And it's timeless. So um, we are now heading into the modern lens portion of the show. What does not hold up? I mean, we mentioned some basic stuff like lyrics wise, there's a little bit of misogyny at times because that was like the thing in the past. Um, Some lines that stuck out to me are like in 16 going on 17, basically everything Ralph sings to her, but your life little girl is an empty page that men will want to write on. Pretty icky. And then the other line was um, the one about you're someone's wife and you belong to him. And you're like, oh no, you're your own person. Um, so no, you're nobody's belonging. I mean, obviously there's like no diversity. There's no people of color in the film. There's nobody that's not like non-binary. It's like very gendered. It's because that's, you know, it's uh, the past. There is no representation. Um, and I do think it was funny this time that I was watching it and I'm like, so you're in Austria, but you're all British. Okay. And some of you are American. Okay. (laughs) Um, And then modern lens stuff that you're just noticing now is like the Nazis, like I think one of the reasons this held up is one, because it's feminist and two, because it's anti-Nazi. And so to see like Nazis kind of rising up in the world again, it's a little bit shocking, but you're also like, at least this movie says it's bad under all circumstances. So we've got that. Yeah. And movies about hating Nazis are always, always welcome. Heading into the double feature portion of the show. If you liked this show, check out other movies that are similar to it or that will pair well with it. Um, So I actually have a really hard time with this. So I went with different categories. I was like, okay, big families that sing seven brides for seven brothers. <laughs> like, <laughs> sure, it's not feminist, but yeah, okay. And then um, I feel yours, mine and ours is like a giant family coming together. So I was like, oh, that might be fun. So those are like the big family versions of it. If you're going for a musical, I mean, there are several Rodgers and Hammerstein movie musicals. I actually don't think that they have translated their work. Like this was the best one that they translated. I would actually, I wish they had done better adaptations of the other ones because I feel like they didn't quite adapt very well. Um, I loved the Hugh Jackman, Oklahoma that we used to be obsessed with Zoe, the PBS one. So so like maybe check that one out. Um, but yeah, Rogers and Hammerstein musicals or just good old fashioned musicals from the golden age, like my fair lady, the music man. Um, if you want the more modern musicals that kind of followed this and took the lessons from this, I would say fiddler and cabaret are two great examples. Um, a fiddler on the roof. Sorry. In case you needed to hear the full thing. Um, I also felt like random movies that are like adjacent to this are like the parent trap. Cause I was like, kids pulling pranks, getting their parents together. It's the 60s. And then um, sister act. Cause <laughs> like, what are the nuns doing all day? <laughs> Let's watch sister act and find I out. Know. Yeah. <laughs> and then I feel like for Julie Andrews, you got to check out Mary Poppins and Victor Victoria. To me, those are like her top films. And then for a more modern film, I felt like Jojo Rabbit was a very, um, like a cool newer film that was like, hey, Nazis are fucked up, right? I love that movie. That movie is so good. (laughs) I also wrote down Annie for one of the like old school musicals, especially (laughs) because it's just like kids singing. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, none of those are a perfect fit with this because nothing is. But do you guys have any movies that you would watch with this?
1: I would just love to watch this in comparison to Juliander's other like big movies, like, especially around the time, you know, because she was, she wasn't such a huge star at the time when she did this film. I would love to watch like the progression of her, you know, like having the Mary Poppins, then, you know, the Sound of Music, Victor Victoria, like seeing those, I think in order, I think would be really interesting just to see like the what's what she does, because she's just a master at what she does. And I think all three of those movies just obviously show her off amazingly well because she's amazing well
0: and she does a Hitchcock film like right after this I feel like Torn Curtain and Star were like two of the ones she did right after this and one's kind of like a comedy and like in the life of a star and one's a freaking Hitchcock film with Paul Newman so she was trying to like go for like a lot of different things but she had a hard Mm -hmm. time with typecasting after
1: this yeah because everybody saw her as being like -hmm. perfect virginal Maria so I mean Mary Poppins didn't didn't hurt that either like these two combined (laughs) and being such a huge hit like oof yeah. Good luck getting yeah. none of that pigeonhole. Yeah.
0: For me, My Fair Lady came to mind, even though Julie Andrews is not in the film. She was she was in the stage production. I think she originated the role. She did. Like it was a big thing that she didn't get it. Gandalf. Yeah. And I just I actually love My Fair Lady even more than Sound of Music. But I think <gasps> that they're both I, I that is probably my favorite mov- movie musical. Um and I just, I, I love the music in them. I love the, you know, I love the protagonists. I feel like they're excellent film adaptations. And um, to me, they pair they pair well together. Well, and with My Fair Lady, it is like outspoken woman, curmudgeon man. She brings him out of his shell. Mm-hmm. Um, she finds her voice. Although in My Fair Lady, it's she finds his voice. But, you know, so... <laughs> No, I'm surprised that you like it more. I, I know you like White Christmas, so I'm actually going to correct your own self because I know you like White no, Christmas. are you're right. you're right. No, White Christmas is probably, is, is my favorite, but to me that's in its own Christmas movie category. But no, in terms of movie musicals that I can watch over and over again, My Fair Lady is probably at the top of the list and, and, and then Sound of Music is up there too. So I, I think of them often uh, going hand in hand. Thank you both so much for being here. It was such a delight to have you on the show. Thank you, Sarah. (laughs) Thanks
1: everyone for listening.
0: (laughs) And happy holidays. We will see you next year. This is our season finale of season six. So next year we'll bring you season seven, Um, but happy holidays in the meantime and, um, and happy new year. And thank you for listening to Talk Classic to Me and we will see you next time. You have been listening to Talk Classic to Me with Sarah Greenfield. That's me. My guests this week were Zoe Palco and Jessica Rice. They will be featured on our Instagram page. If you enjoyed our show, please introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe, and maybe even find us on anchor.fm to become a contributing member. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Talk Classic to me for some awesome content and to find out what's coming up next. Thanks for listening, and have a happy new year.